0: You're listening to the Soul Career Podcast, the podcast that brings you stories from people who've taken a risk to discover careers that fill them with purpose and make them come alive. I'm your host, Lysandra Rickards, and I lead Soul Career, a coaching company that helps professionals, executives, and entrepreneurs to find and live their life's work and to lead authentically. So if you love this episode, let us know. Send us a message on Instagram at soulcareer. Now for the episode. Thanks for joining us at Soul Career. I'm Lissandra Rickards and today I have the immense pleasure of speaking with Brandon Andrews. Brandon has the coolest job in the world. He recruits diverse entrepreneurs for ABC's hit show Shark Tank. Now, for those of you who don't know, Shark Tank is where entrepreneurs pitch to a panel of amazing potential investors like Mark Cuban, Damon John, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, and many more. So, Brandon, tell us everything about your job.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to share uh, a little bit of uh, the background on, on my career and, of course, um, what I do with Shark Tank. So, uh, Shark Tank, um, as you mentioned, is a reality TV show based in the US, uh, and entrepreneurs come and pitch the sharks. And we're actually currently casting for season 12 of the show. So, the, so the show's been around. For a long time now and I've been around um, for about half of that time so I've been around since about season 7 of the show and um, I travel around the US and uh, host casting calls for entrepreneurs and I'm focused on finding more uh, diverse ideas so making sure that the diversity in terms of types of businesses, I'm is represented on the show, so making sure every kind of business, every sector is represented, but also focused on finding more diverse voices, so ensuring that the diversity reflected in the audience watching at home is reflected in the entrepreneurs who are actually pitching on the show. Um, I meet several thousand entrepreneurs every year all around the country. Um, The first goal at the casting calls, of course, is to get more diverse entrepreneurs into the pipeline for the show and of course to get people on the show and to help and to to have them compete successfully and hopefully get deals and the second goal and it's a really close second is to use The platform of Shark Tank to support entrepreneurship around the country and so to that end at every one of the events I do I I teach a pitch prep class in the morning to hopefully help the entrepreneurs get some of the uh, nervousness out, uh, but also help them figure out how to put together a good pitch, whether it's for Shark Tank or pitching outside of Shark Tank in the real world. Um, Two, I like to host the events at places that are actually owned or operated by women or by people of color. So finding a way to support those local entrepreneurs. And so we've had our events at um, coffee shops that were uh, owned by, um, diverse entrepreneurs. We've had our events at co-working spaces that were owned by diverse entrepreneurs. We've had our events at historically black colleges and universities, um, that are of course run, um, by people of color. Um, we've had our events at, um, uh, event spaces and venues that were, that were owned by, um, people of color. and um, we've had them at conferences like the Black Enterprise Entrepreneurs Summit and like the National Urban League, like the NAACP convention, um, I believe that we have to be intentional about getting diverse entrepreneurs into the pipeline and part of that is going where these people live um, and not expecting them to have to go out of their way to go to the big convention center or the big event venue in whatever area we're in um, because uh, entrepreneurs are busy. And even if you are an aspiring entrepreneur, you have a nine to five, so you're still busy. And so let's make it as convenient as possible for them to get into the pipeline for the show. And the last thing I'll say is I try to partner with local organizations, national organizations that support entrepreneurs as well. And so to that end, we've had the Small Business Administration, the Minority Business Development Agency, the... Um, uh, the Urban League, which I mentioned previously, um, organizations like Walker's Legacy that works with um, female entrepreneurs of, of color. We've had them come in and, and have table space and and, and do um, panel discussions um, focused on access to capital or pitching or other things. Again, trying to make sure that entrepreneurs leave our process better than they came and um, I enjoy doing the work. I don't really care a whole lot about the entertainment piece, although it's it's cool to be able to work on a TV show. But the, the thing that I, I value most is connecting with the entrepreneurs and hopefully being helpful to them, whether or not they actually move forward with the show.
0: Amazing. So how can Caribbean entrepreneurs get on the show?
1: <laughs> so Shark Tank um, is a show for entrepreneurs that are – working in the U.S. Um, or um, who are, you know, U.S. or who are U.S. citizens. Um, and so there are some folks in the Caribbean um, that are uh, part of the U.S. And so, you know, those folks could apply no matter where you're running your business. But if you're outside of um, U.S. citizenship, then you just have to be doing a significant amount of business in the, in the U.S., um to, to be able to be considered for the show. Um, however, um, there are a lot of other opportunities um, for folks that you know may not qualify for Shark Tank that, uh, that I'm happy to share and, and connect people to. It's Shark Tank's not the only TV business show. It's the only one I'm working on right now, but there's certainly other opportunities there and I'm, you know happy to, to to talk about that as well.
0: Okay, so this is the Soul Career podcast and you sound like mm-hmm. you are in a potential Soul Career. So, how did you find yourself in such a cool career?
1: Well, I have an untraditional path, I guess if there is a non traditional path to doing the work with Shark Tank. So, Shark Tank is actually a client of uh, an agency um, called Values Partnerships. So, we're a a social impact agency. Um, We help our partners in the entertainment space, in the tech space, and in the public affairs space connect with. Um, audiences of color and also audiences of faith all around the world. Um, Shark Tank has been one of our clients for a long time. I do all of the agency's work around entrepreneurship and technology. Um, uh, The founder of the agency, Joshua Dubois, and I actually met when I was working in the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. So I spent several years, I'm about five years working in the Senate. That's where I started my career. Um, Joshua was working for then Senator Obama and uh, went on the campaign, of course, in um, 2008 and and eventually went to the White House and ran the Office of Faith and Community Partnerships. Um, I stayed on the Hill uh, uh, during the first term. And um, after the first term, we reconnected and um, he had done some work previously while he was at the White House with Mark Burnett, who's the producer of Shark Tank. Um, Mark asked him to do some work after he had left the White House, and um, Joshua asked me to come on and and be helpful with some of the communications and other work um, that the agency was doing. And um, I had become an entrepreneur myself and had uh, my own shop doing comms and, and strategic consulting, and um, we pitched uh, Mark at one of his uh, other events and said, you know, hey, Shark Tank, um, it looks like it could use some more uh, diversity. Can we be helpful with the show? He said yes, and the rest is history. It started out as just putting together spreadsheets of entrepreneurs, so list of entrepreneurs from around the country. And of course, it's now grown into a nationwide casting tour where I'll host eight to 10 casting calls all around the country. Um, every year, you know focused on finding more diverse entrepreneurs. It's, it's something that I enjoy doing. And uh, I think the the biggest pieces that I take from that journey, looking back on it, it are you know, one, um, the value of relationships. So Joshua and I met uh, because I was running a staff organization for black men in the Senate or, 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 in, or in, the, in the U.S. Capitol more generally, um, called African American Men on the Hill, Joshua would come to the meetings and I made it a point to meet everybody that came to the meetings. Um, we weren't like particularly close to be honest with you. Like we, you know, friendly saw each other in passing, um, but kept in contact uh, both during his time on Capitol Hill and then when he went to the White House. And um, I think also it's being known for being an expert in your domain. He reached out to me to assist with the agency because um, I was known as someone who had done some work in the entrepreneurship space, um, small business space, but also someone who was who had a significant you know, communication skill set. And so um, that domain expertise is why he reached out. Uh, and then I think taking advantage of an opportunity when it's there. And so um, we saw the Shark Tank opportunity and um, took the moment that we had there with um, Mark Burnett to pitch him to ask. I think being able to have an appropriate ask for whatever audience you're in front of, whatever stage you're at in your career, having an appro- being able to make an appropriate ask is, is really important. So, um, that's how I got to uh, doing casting for shark tank. And, uh, I think those are some, some things that I take from that experience.
0: Awesome. I love that. Um, so it's, relationship management networking domain expertise seeing an opportunity seizing it pitching for it going for it and that's how you found your way into an amazing career potentially a soul career for you all right okay so i want to get back to your story now brandon Mm -hmm. and i want to go back to the beginning so where were you born and what did you want to be when you were growing up
1: Yeah, so I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, but I never say I'm from there. I grew up in a small town in South Alabama um, called Bruton. My grandmother, um, Rutilia was her name, uh, raised me there. And when I was growing up, I honestly didn't know anything at all about entrepreneurship. I had heard of being a business person but I didn't know what business people did and I didn't know how to own my own business at all the only really experience I had with entrepreneurship with business were one uh, my grandmother didn't like being around people that were entrepreneurs because she used to say they're always trying to sell something which of course as an entrepreneur that's your job Um, and uh, I think that, that we can that we can do some work in our communities to properly socialize the understanding of entrepreneurs are always selling things because they're trying to build their business. And that's a good thing for the community Um, or people that were doing, you know, pyramid schemes, people that were, you know, selling protein shakes or or selling cosmetics or or something like that. And um, that was really my only experience with business. And so growing up, um, I was interested in technology, so like engineering, um, and I liked um, government. so i I wanted to do some kind of work where I could use um, technical expertise within government. Um, I ended up graduating um, from college with a, a degree in um, international relations um, because I wanted to connect with communities globally I've always been interested in doing that and I get to do that now quite a bit um, which I enjoy uh, so yeah that was that was the focus it was it was finding some kind of way to use technical skills with within government um, business or being a business person was something that I thought sounded kind of cool but it's it's not something that I had fully wrapped my mind around being able to do, and it's certainly not something that I would have been able to clearly articulate as this is what I want to be when when I grow up. And In fact, thinking about my career, there's no job, so to speak, that I've had from even my time working in the Senate to um, my time working at a PR agency to uh, my time, of course, being an entrepreneur, there's no job that I've had that I really knew existed when I was younger. And so I think it's so important for us to uh, find you know, more and better ways to share um, what the opportunities are um, for people career-wise, because you don't know to aspire to be something if you don't know that opportunity actually exists.
0: Absolutely. And I say that all the time. Growing up in Jamaica myself, we were funneled into professional career paths where you could get a salary and be set for life right so doctor Mm -hmm. lawyer engineer and if you wanted to be an entrepreneur it was like okay are you failing out of school are you failing in the other things why you want to be a business person or you know Mm -hmm. banker is the best you can do as a business person right so I completely Mm -hmm. agree with you we need to open everyone's eyes about the non-linear paths that exist so yeah, You grew up in Alabama and you went to college in Oklahoma. So for those of I us did. who live outside of the U.S., the deep south like that, or at least that's what I think of as the deep south, it, um, how does that impact how you grew up and how you see the world right now?
1: Yeah, so I, my, I, I like my southern upbringing. Um, I, know when, I know when a lot of people think about the south They think about the civil rights movement. They think about racism. They think about slavery. And all of those things are realities. However, um, while I was growing up, I didn't experience any overt racism myself. So definitely heard of people being impacted by things. um, But there was never an experience that I had where I could pinpoint someone doing something or not doing something because of my race or the color of my skin. Um, However, um, there's bias and racism, sexism, um, ableism, all of these things evolve over time. And very often they go from being overt to being covert. And so maybe there were things that happened that I just didn't pick up on because I was a child and I didn't you know, know what people were, were really talking about. But my time growing up in Alabama, uh, my grandmother raised me and uh, it was a small town, so knew just about everybody and, and, and everybody knew who I was. My grandmother had been a teacher for 40 plus years in that town and so everybody knew her and even though she had already retired by the time I came along um, she was still very much so involved in the community and still like tutoring and giving piano lessons and all kinds of things to to people and I think that seeing her still continue to give back even when she didn't have to um, really um, built up a, a strong I guess, sense of altruism in me uh, in and a strong understanding that I was on the earth to make a positive impact, to do something good, even if I didn't know necessarily what that good thing um, was, was going to be. But um, I grew up, went through school. I was an athlete. Um, um, uh, my, my grandmother very begrudgingly allowed me to, uh, to play sports in middle school and And I started off doing karate and then baseball, because baseball, I I figured she thought that um, I had the least um, likelihood of actually getting injured. And then um, finally, I got to start playing American football uh, in late middle school, so like eighth, ninth grade. And then in high school, I did football and I did track and and of course ended up doing track in college. Um, I, when I was a junior in high school, moved from living with my grandmother to living with my mother and sister in Florida, so in Panama City, Florida. So I actually graduated from high school there. And that experience was really formative and also pretty difficult uh, because uh, my my mother made some decisions that weren't the the best, honestly, and she ended up in jail. And so my sister and I ended up being uh, homeless for a significant part of that time and relying on either friends or people from our church uh, to have a place to stay and to get to and from school and to be able to um, have something to to eat day to day. Um, I think that experience also, um, because I saw people helping me out, also reinforced in me that seed that my grandmother had planted through her example that, I'm here to make a positive impact and that it's part of my responsibility to give back and to help others. Um, so I was able to, despite the you know, issues there and a myriad of issues there, but despite the issues there, I was able to you know, successfully get into college, um, was a track athlete in Oklahoma. And Tulsa, Oklahoma, as some of your listeners may know, is the home of uh, Black Wall Street. Uh, and so it was a community of uh, African-Americans who uh, were entrepreneurs and so in that community there were over 300 black-owned businesses um, in the early 20th century so uh, think about the the 19-teens and 1920s um, over 300 black-owned businesses and um, unfortunately it was destroyed by a white mob and that story is so significant because it's, it's the most significant Racial um, race riot that that, that ever happened in, in U.S. history, but it's a story that I wasn't familiar with at all. It's a story that just wasn't told, that just wasn't taught, um, and both from the racial you know perspective, but also from the um, business and entrepreneurship perspective, it's just such an important story. Um, and, and the fact that my grandmother was a teacher and she didn't even she wasn't even really familiar with it, um, I think underscores how hidden it was. And so when I got there, because of the experience I had had in Florida and with my grandmother, I wanted to volunteer and give back. So on Saturdays, I would do this program called Adopt-A-Block. So we would go to North Tulsa, which is where Greenwood community was, which is is where the Black Wall Street was. And we just knock on doors and say, hey, can we fix a leak or mow your yard or trim your hedges or what can we do to be helpful? And through doing that, I saw that there's so much we can do with our two hands to be helpful to other people. Uh, however, after doing it for um, a year or so and kind of building relationships with people in the community, I saw that there's only so much we can do with our two hands. At some point, you have to join together and advocate for the change you want to see in the community that you live in. And so started advocating for that community with the local government there in Tulsa, which led to me getting a internship with a member of Congress um, that I worked for the last two years of undergrad. That internship led to a paid internship in DC after I graduated and the rest is history. About a month into that paid internship, I got hired on full time on Capitol Hill. And then as I mentioned previously, spent about five years there. So that's the the story.
0: on Brandon because how am I supposed to even pick one thing to deep dive into and first of all we did a pre-interview where we talked about your story and I had no idea about the part in Miami where you were homeless you and your sister and that what you've overcome and what you've done is just incredible um if you could pick on like two or three things when you were in that situation of being homeless and ended up in college and ended up in Congress, what two or three character traits would you say led you to still making good decisions even in that situation?
1: Yeah, I I think something that's just a life principle for me is some things aren't your fault, but they are your responsibility to deal with. So wasn't my fault at all that what happened happened. So it wasn't my fault. I had, I was a child, I had no control over it. However, it was absolutely my responsibility to deal with it, um, both for my sake, but then also because my sister is younger than me for for her sake as well. Uh, So I think that, understanding, although I, I may not have been able to articulate it as succinctly as I can now, but just knowing that just because something bad happens, something unfair happens, doesn't alleviate me of my responsibility to take care of myself and to continue moving forward. The second thing is, and I know I, I knew I said this to myself, just life is just a never-ending cycle of change. Like you and I think success in life is very much so predicated upon our ability to adapt and not let the changes now you adapt. And so you may change your approach as the environment changes, but you can't let the changes that happen or the fact that there's change at all, um, get you off track. And I think the third thing is I just saw so much potential, um, being forestalled or being, Wasted with guys that I was um, that I was an athlete with. So even despite being the, the the home situation when I was in Florida and I was in Panama City, Florida, not Miami, but um, when I was there, um, I was still an athlete. So I still did um, track and I still did football. And the guys that were with me on the football team, um, every one of them, you know, had not just Physical, significant physical abilities, because we were a really good team. We're, you know, nationally ranked team. Um, But all of them had significant mental acumen. Uh, But one by one, things would take them out. And some of the, sometimes there were things that, were completely outside of their control. So their parents made a decision or they were in a similar situation in terms of homelessness or instability at home. Uh, And sometimes it would be things that they decided to do that ended up impacting them in a way that was much more significant than maybe they um, thought it would be. So, you know, trying to um, make money by you know, selling drugs or doing things that are illegal, or just, you know, having some doing something to have some fun and having it kind of get blown out of proportion. Um, I saw that happen over and over again. And I didn't want that to happen to me. Um, I think there's a broader conversation that we should have, not just in the US, but globally about younger people. And very often, the decisions that those guys would make, because some of them should have been I mean, they had NFL-caliber talent. Um, the, but the decisions that they made in high school when their brains weren't fully formed um, impacted their lives and kept them from being able to reach their full potential. And I think yeah, yeah. creating um, creating environments that allow people to reach their full potential, not environments that punish people for life for decisions that they made when they were really young. Wow, wow, that's
0: really great insight as well and what a story brandon and actually we can hear the sirens in the background where are you calling in from today
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm just my home but uh but yeah i guess uh i guess what city some, i guess there's some activity i'm in dc
0: yeah okay <laughs> all right so you ended up in the u.s senate and you were there for five years so, how did that shape who you are today? That period in the Senate.
1: Well, I feel very fortunate to have been able to transition immediately from undergrad to um, to having a jo- to having a job because um, when I graduated, you know, we were in you know global recession and um, a lot of people I graduated with um didn't have jobs and then many that did have jobs were doing things that they didn't study to do or doing things that they didn't want to do and i got the opportunity to immediately do something that i had been training to do again i was an international relations major government major um and so being able to go directly to the senate directly to capitol hill was was great in the senate it's it's interesting Um, The U.S. Congress is considered to be one of the foremost legislative bodies in the world. Um, However, because of budgets and the way that it's structured, it is mostly run by younger people. And so in the Senate, you get as a young person, as a young staffer, you get a significant amount of responsibility, whether it's responsibility for responding to constituent requests or responsibility from a budget and policy perspective, you get a significant amount of responsibility really quickly. Less so in the Senate, more in the House. In the Senate, there's a higher ceiling because um, there's 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 a, because of the power structure that's there. But uh, but especially in the in the House of Representatives, you get a lot of responsibility. And so um, it was there's a cool factor to you know going to work and seeing all the cameras set up and you you see something happening. Um, on your computer or you hear about something happening and then it's on the news five minutes later. And so there's a cool factor, but you can't get sucked up into that because that doesn't allow you to operate. Um, and it's a place where you have to operate at a high level um, consistently to be able to um, compete because it's a very competitive place. Um, but but in order to um, to actually have some wins, you have to be able to operate at a high level consistently. And so I'm thankful that that's the place I started my career, because I think it, um, it instilled in me some, some good habits and a good understanding in terms of the kind of work um, that I needed to do consistently. Uh, and then also, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to have a significant amount of responsibility policy-wise, budget-wise, et cetera, at a younger age, um, because um, it's an experience that I was able to have earlier and uh, then, you know, maybe other than maybe some other people might have had if you go to more traditional corporate America, if you're an entrepreneur, and as a younger person, you have to do everything. So you get that experience regardless. But a lot of folks in corporate America, they kind of ease you into it a little bit uh, more. But, um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience. And uh, definitely happy I was able to to do it. Not something I need to do again, but happy I was able to, to start there.
0: And the network you built from your time in the Senate really catapulted you into the career that you're in now. And yeah. I also, ooh, go ahead, yeah.
1: Well, um, yeah, so networking is incredibly important. It just, it really is. It's incredibly important. And you can't survive in a place like Capitol Hill without networking appropriately. Um, it just doesn't, without relationship building and building actual genuine relationships in addition to, building relationships that are maybe primarily focused on a work product. Um, But yeah, relationship building is is incredibly important in whatever field you're in, but especially in a legislative body like the Senate, um, in a place where um, it's just relationships are incredibly important.
0: That's true. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I was going to say that the first job you get out of college, I often recommend to people who ask me who want to go straight and become a young entrepreneur and be like Zuckerberg and build the next Facebook. I often think, well, actually, you want to professionalize yourself a little bit first when you're right out of college. You want to learn a work ethic. You want to learn how to deliver at a high caliber, a high quality work product. So would you agree with me or do you have a different recommendation for kids straight out of college?
1: Well, I think it's really predicated upon what kind of traction you're getting for the business. If the traction requires you to or allows you to do it full time, then, yeah, do it. Uh, But if it doesn't, then no. I, I, I think generally speaking, whatever you can do as a younger person to Get more professional experience um, to to put yourself in a is, is going to put yourself in a position to succeed. Whether that's through a more traditional uh, business lens or whether that's through um, through entrepreneurship. So yeah, I definitely don't think it's it's bad advice to to say to somebody yeah try to get some good professional skills as much as much as you can before um, going fully into business. But you know if you're in a position where the traction that you're getting on for, for the business requires you to do it full-time then you should just be cognizant of the fact that maybe i have i have an underdeveloped skill set from a professional standpoint i have what it takes to run this business but what else but do i have what it takes to scale it and grow it um, in a way that is going to be sustainable over time because some of those things um, as a startup founder you're not going to be able to just learn on the job. You have to either get some different experience and bring that in or, um, you know, have somebody teach you.
0: That's great advice. Great advice. So Brandon, have you found your soul career?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely love what I do um, and not just Shark Tank. Shark Tank's a part of it, but I love connecting with entrepreneurs. You know, I, as aforementioned, mentioned. Uh, have a focus in life on creating a positive impact, doing good. And I have attempted to do that through government, of course, started my career there. I've attempted to do that in the nonprofit space. So I didn't mention earlier, but I was executive director of a nonprofit organization for a short time, interim executive director for a short time after Capitol Hill. And actually now I'm the chairman of the DC Commission for National and Community Service. So we oversee Serve DC, which is the mayor's office of volunteering and partnerships in Washington D.C. Um, and so I've I've attempted to do it through the nonprofit space, and I found that um, using the uh, principles of entrepreneurship and using business to having a positive, to, to create a positive impact in the world is um, is such a great way to do it. And so. Um, Shark Tank's are a piece of that, but the other pieces are the investing that I do in, in businesses and the advising that I do with entrepreneurs. Um, I have my own you know, uh, business, um, a mobile mobile app company, as well as um, still doing you know, consulting on my own. And I think um, being able to, uh, again, create an environment that allows people to reach their full potential um, as entrepreneurs is something I'm passionate about. And so definitely, I think I found it and uh, appreciate you articulating it uh, in that way as sole Career, because I think it's a, it's, a great, it's a great way to put it.
0: So it seems like people mm-hmm. have this mission to have a big impact in the world, kind of follow that trajectory from government to nonprofit to entrepreneurship, or at least the two of us did. <laughs>
1: I think you need to have experience in all three to be able to have a fully formed approach to whatever it is you're doing. Because even if you're in the business world, you're always going to interact with government. I mean, I still talk to folks that are in government on a, on a weekly basis, and I'm always talking to people that are in the nonprofit space as well. Um, when you know, Because very often for our agency, we're running impact campaigns for, for corporate clients. And so um, you need to understand how all three work um, effectively, uh, in order to, I think, reach the full potential that you have um, personally to, to make an impact. Uh, and so, if you can spend some time in all three, or even if you are in entrepreneurship and in your uh, any free time you have, you can you know join a nonprofit board or you can um, interact with government. There are you know local boards and commissions um, in. Um, the Caribbean just like in the. US um, where your mayor or city council person um, may appoint you to um, help the city make decisions um, on a, a particular sector um, of the economy or on a for, for, or for a particular population take advantage of those opportunities because they're great learning opportunities for you um, and help and will help you be more well-rounded but also, um, they also give you an opportunity to make a significant impact. Um, you know, so I've, you know, I was a public servant, so to speak, working in the Senate. Uh, however, the Senate is so far removed from the people. Very often, you don't see the direct impact. However, um, my time serving on local boards and commissions, um, the Commission for National and Community Service, um, where we're able to give direct grants to nonprofit organizations um, in in Washington, DC, and also um, my time, I'm also on the commission for fashion arts and events. Um, You know, my time spent on those, I'm I'm able to see a direct impact and and it's, and it's gratifying um, to be able to, to see, you know, we make a decision and, and, and someone getting, you know, impacted in a positive way.
0: So Brandon, any final gems or words of wisdom to share with our audience before we go?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for startup founders is just don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Uh, All of us want to present ourselves well to the world. That's why we wear clothes that we like and wash our faces and take showers and all of that. We want to make sure that we um, are presentable. And in a similar way, we want to make sure that our businesses, that our projects that we're presenting are presentable. However, the most important thing for early stage businesses, in my opinion, is building something that works in some way and getting it out there and getting feedback on it, get the feedback, make the necessary changes, and then push it out again and go through that cycle as many times as possible. That's how you refine your business. That's how you refine your customer profile. Uh, And ultimately um, that's how you make the business defensible It's through being able to go through that cycle quickly. um, As an entrepreneur, Um, versus being able to you know protect it in in, in a lot of other ways and so um, do that and then always have an ask for whatever audience you're in front of so One of the biggest issues we have in our casting calls is entrepreneurs actually not asking for money or not asking for it confidently. I think there's a broader conversation to be had about um, people seeing themselves as investors and people being familiar with finance. And, yeah, there's probably some nerves involved with that, too, with people at our casting calls. But I think um, people are sometimes just uncomfortable with making the ask that they need to make. And when you're making an ask, you're trading value for value, whether it's with an investor or with customers. So make sure you have an ask for whatever audience you're in front of, and that'll ensure that um, you can at least have a chance to make some progress, no matter what audience you're in front of. Um, So those two things I'll, I'll leave folks with. And I guess the last thing, feel free to reach out to me if I can be helpful with anything.
0: Awesome, so how can we reach you, Brandon?
1: Uh, yeah, so it's, it's super simple. You can just text me to talk business anytime. 202-831-3031. I'm on um, uh, social media. I'm at uh, yesbrandon on Instagram and uh, brandonandrews.me is my website uh, if you want to reach me there or, or see the things that I'm working on. But feel free to text me. I'm always happy to, to chat with you about business and um, yeah I'd love to be helpful
0: I have never had anyone share their phone number on my podcast Brandon that's crazy (laughs) but the way I got connected to you is through a mutual contact um, someone I went to business school with Mm -hmm. who works at the SEC in Washington D.C. a friend of yours said oh my gosh we need to talk and then I had an ask ready for Brandon I'm like Brandon I need you on my podcast And that's how we ended up here. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Brandon. Um, This was amazing. This was even better than I could have imagined. And everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.
0: If you love this episode, remember to hit subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're a professional executive or entrepreneur, that's interested in taking one of our coaching programs, head on over to soulcareer.com and sign up for a free consultation. We'd love to hear from you.